Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Coach Speak. I'm Matt Seidel, along with fellow hosts Derek Seidel and Josh Trope. Today's guest is Ferris State University men's basketball coach Andy Bronkema, who just three seasons ago led the Bulldogs to a 38-1 record and an NCAA Division II national championship. Coach Bronkema was an outstanding player at McBain High School and Cornerstone University before joining the Ferris State staff as an assistant in 2007. He has been the Bulldogs' head coach since 2013. Today, Coach Bronkema talks about his full-court pressure defense, what he looks for when recruiting, and how he attacks switching defenses and the icing of ball screens. He also explains his favorite part about being a girl dad in our new Shot Clock segment. So without further ado, here is Coach Andy Broncomo. Hey, before we dive into today's topics, uh, Coach Broncomo, we appreciate you taking time out of your TBT schedule and joining us on the pod. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. No doubt, no doubt. Hey, um, I guess we want to jump right into, you know, something that uh, I think you're known for, whether you like it or not. And I know it's uh, something that we have uh, paid attention to and uh, even even watching your team play live and, and on some video uh, comes up. And that's kind of your full court uh, pressure defense. You guys seem to, uh, regardless of the situation, you're going to apply that. So, I, again, I, I, I've seen you play. Uh, I saw the exhibition game against Michigan State during your national championship season. Um, by the way, that was a, an eight-point loss if people didn't know that. That was a pretty, uh, pretty good performance in an exhibition game. I saw your, your 19-20 game against Lake, Lake State uh, on video as I was kind of prepping for this. You guys seem to be in something all the time, whether it's man pressure. I think I even saw a little 2-1-2, maybe some diamond with some trapping and you're bouncing around in different presses, but can you kind of give us the idea of, of what you're trying to do with, with your pressure and, and, and why you believe so strongly in that? And then maybe we'll break it down in terms of what you do and, and how you build it. Yeah. Well, first of all, it, it's, it started, I've been head coach for eight years. It started around year three and we, we always had some pressure in some options, uh, but we were playing a half court game at uh, I believe it was at Walsh university and uh we were in a half court battle the whole game kind of controlling it and lost it down the stretch and we went in you know to the locker room you know defeated and kind of as a coaching staff on the way home just it, it wasn't setting real well with us how we went down we didn't like going down like that it, it felt like we had uh, more left to give it, it felt like we didn't go down swinging and it was kind of a decision from then on that that playing in the half court wasn't really the style that that made us most comfortable. We wanted to play more aggressive. We we wanted to enforce our will. We wanted to get up and down. Um, we just we wanted to you know go down swinging if we were ever going to go down again. That was the beginning of it. <laughs> I ne never set out to be a pressing team. Um, we, we we didn't press much. When I played in high school, we pressed a little bit uh, token man-to-man -man when I was in, in college at Cornerstone, um, and there was a little bit of a full-court philosophy there, um, but we just decided no more. We're not, we're not going down like that. So now, fast forward five or six years later, I guess what I'd say our, our pressing philosophy is is just to junk it up. We have a lot of different variations, and we throw a lot of stuff out, and, you know, based on the other team's personnel, we see what sticks and, 
you know, by the end of the game, we kind of have something that we think is giving them a little bit of trouble. So um, some of the reasons we press, I, I guess the first one is, you know, it's, de it's definitely not steals. I mean, if, if they throw it to us, that's good. You know, we try to get some, you know, pressure on the ball and steals off the ball. Uh, we, do, we don't try to go for that low-hanging fruit. You know, you get fouls in the trap, and, and you – we just don't try to go for that. We try to get them off the ball. But it's that shot clock that we have. So the, the basic philosophy is if we, if we take off nine seconds, it's two less actions we have to defend in the half court. If we defend two less actions um, each possession all game long, we're a better defensive team. So – it's somewhere, it's not a bend, but don't break. You know, it's not that, it's not that loose. Um, some of the, our versions of a press are, where we have no trap and we just stunt one step back, two steps back. We're just stunting at the guys and we're, and we're falling back into our defense. Um, but we're definitely trying to fortify after our press defense. We call it fortify. You know, we, we don't have our big man leave the basket. Sometimes we do give up corner threes because of that, but we don't have them leave the basket. And uh, we're, we're sprinting back and matching up and getting into our shell defense. It's number one emphasis out of the press. That way we're giving up quick shots, but we're not giving up layups. And uh, we're, we're fortifying our shell defense. So um, we do have three versions of the press and some wrinkles out of each one. We have a man-to-man -man press. Uh, we have a you know, basic diamond press. And uh, we have a three-quarter court press. And those are the three that we use. You know, the, the best thing we do with our presses is we spend time in practice, uh, practicing them. And uh, we have lead up drills and we have, you know, sequences that we go through and we have a uh, 15 minute sequence for each one of those presses. And we, we do, we do those each week. And then when we do our other drills in practice, we're always, we're always in something and we're reacting. So if we run a half court, uh, set then after the main basket we're re we're reacting into the pressure that we're in so the set's not done until we're back into our our pressing positions or if we're playing you know full court scrimmage or you know a transition drill we're we're always in the press so we're getting a lot of reps I want to I want to jump uh let me follow up on that I, I'm sure these guys have some questions too so let's just talk about your your man-to-man -man version because like mm -hmm. I said, the, the, the snapshot that I, in terms of some prep work that I saw was the Lake State game from 1920. But, um, you know, you guys were in kind of a man-to-man. -man. It just kind of keep keep the guy in front, make him work to get the ball up the floor. Everybody was just taking care of business. But as that game went on in the second half, all of a sudden, the, the, the pressure got more intense. Guys were even denying looked like one pass away in the backcourt. They weren't even worrying about being level of the ball. They were really kind of taking their own guy out of the play. So it just, it picked up. So I, I assume that was a different version or maybe guys were just a little fiery coming out at, at halftime. But uh, in terms of your man-to-man, -man, what, what are the different ways that you'll do it? You, you mentioned the stunt and, and just kind of show and recover, but is there a, will you ever trap? Will you ever run and jump out of the man or uh, at least have the threat to do it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it I'll tell you this, it does change over the years uh, based on your personnel, based on what, what you think you have. Um, we've had four men up in front of the press. We've had three, threes up there. We've had different personnel. We've had different ideas. But some of the basics that, we can, that you can do out of a man-to-man -man press 
or that we've done over, over the years. We've either had it in the arsenal or it's been in there before or, you know, it's going to be there in, in the future. Um, and I'm just thinking about our drills that we do too is, you know, we call it the coffin corner. So, you know, if we're in man-to-man uh, and we want to trap, we're going to go that, that first pass and we're going to trap the coffin corner. So we're, we're going to pressure. It's just like half court shell. So whatever side the ball is on, we're, we're denying that guy, denying him hard. And then the other guy is in help. If they run the baseline, that guy will deny. And the other guy will be on the help line. And we trap and there's two options on the backside with a, with a backside guard, whoever, or forward or whoever's over there. Cause it's man to man. I mean, you, you can, you can attack the inbounder and take him away that's a more aggressive or you can you know stay with your man and then when they throw it back to the inbounder you can you can stun at them slow them down so let's say that the inbounder is a four man or they take it out with a big that can't dribble you know we're going to want to run a trap coffin corner have them throw it back and then deny everybody else and have that guy dribble up the floor i mean that might be the only thing we accomplished but he's got to enter the offense and he's got to dribble up the floor uncomfortably. And, uh, you know, you're just another drill you just work. Simplest mm-hmm. drill, you, you, you work the Z drill. You know, full court. We Z him up to half court, and we play one-on-one. Uh, keep him out of the paint. So that's a drill that we do, and, uh, you know, we do, we do it all the time. Very basic, but none of these presses work really well if you can't pressure the basketball. I mean, if the, if, if the guys have no pressure on the basketball <laughs> – then they just they pick you apart. So we really try to heat up that ball. So that that's an option. Uh, n- another option is just the run and jump. So now we're uh, heating up the basketball, Z drill up the court. Everybody's above their man. So draw a line between your man and the ball. You're um, one third off your man. And when when the guy turns um, or is in a trapping area, which before half court or after half court or we can get them up the sideline with speed. We know we're going to cut them off. We're going to run and jump. And then the next guy is going to be in what we call anticipation. So he's going to be in between the next, the two guys, kind of like a zone up on the backside of a shell. And he's just going to read the eyes of the guy that's getting trapped or, or jumped and, and try to pick one off, try to get the hands on one. So, and that's another drill that we do. We set up that scenario. We got guys in between and, and we work on that anticipation. We also, circle around the, the jump ball circle and you know we we trap it's usually four on four we got to get five deflections and we will trap the ball and, and the offense has to hold it for a couple seconds before they they pass it and then they have they have to pass and the other two guys are in between you know the, the other players and then when they pass it they don't get a deflection the next two guys trap and the, the other two guys are in, in between so that's another anticipation drill that we do. Um, they can't get out of the drill unless they got, um, you know, four deflections or steals. So that's the run. That's the run and jump. And typically, you only have time. You know, you have time for only one run and jump. You can't. You can't be doing it all over. If if you do it, if you do it more than once, it, it's that rare team that's really not looking to break the press for scores. You know, they really want to set up their half court offense. So you're just basically saying, hey, we're just going to go crazy. In, in, until you enter your offense and then there's only certain people you want to to run and jump we usually say hey this is a scenario we can run and jump off the inbounder or off you know if they throw it right back to the inbounder you know 
you're, you're the second guy that can run a jump. You, we don't want it to be, uh, I don't know, we don't want it to be a kamikaze situation. It's right. pretty, pretty controlled. Uh, another option you can do that we've done over the years is just, this one's easier to set up out of a dead ball. Um, it's just a face guard situation. So find your man and, and you put you put your back to the baseline and you, you, you face guard him. So you make him throw it over top. You take the guy off the inbounder and, and you throw him into like a football, you know, defensive back scenario and you throw it over top and then that guy goes and gets it or traps from there and you know usually get people into speed dribbles if they can't complete the pass over top you know they got that car on the highway behind them that's you know on your bumper and we all know that's uncomfortable so Mm -hmm. there's another thing we like to do maybe down the stretch or if somebody's just got a dominant point guard you know we'll just we'll take the guy off of the inbounder and and we'll double team the guy we don't want to get it we want anybody else to dribble it up besides him and we're just going to take him away if he's a special player or or if he's the best free throw shooter or he's making all the plays down the stretch you know we're just going to get it out of his hands so those are the you know main man-to-man options that that we run over the years coach i was going to ask um you know, early in the year, are you, a lot of the teaching points, you're, you're putting these things in early in the year. You mentioned that um, about 15 minutes you work on each press during the week. I'm assuming that's like during the, the grind of the season, so you're not running their legs weary and those things like that. But early in the year, it, or, or am I mis-envisioning how this works? Like, wh- how do you guys work this in? I think that's my big question. Yeah, so – it's, it's just in the DNA of everything we do. So essentially we're, we're pressing off practice along, but we have developed all I was saying was we have developed these 15 minute lead up segments um, where we're doing these drills like man to man wise, you know, we might do a coffin corner drill and anticipation drill, um, a run and jump drill. And, you know, it leads up to five on five and, and now we, we play a reaction press drill where all 10 guys are in the paint kind of moving around and I'll, I'll call out, you know, a, a color and a press. So black ball. And I'll say, you know, what press we're in and they have to react into it. I'll, I'll make a layup. Usually I make it. Um, sometimes I miss it, but <laughs> they know, they know how to play it. You know, they'll react into the press and that's the, the back end of that 15 minutes, you know, we'll play oh. like, by possessions in, in uh, reaction press. And I could call out any of the versions that we're working on that day. Really, we don't go that long. You know, in, in early preseason, we go, I mean, maximum two and a half hours. And then once we get in the season, I mean, we're practicing for like an hour and a half on Monday, but the rest of the days are around an hour. So if you can commit 15 minutes in an hour and, you know, five minute practice, that's a large chunk of the time you just committed to, to something. Coach, how do you guys switch between like your coffin corner, run and jump face? Like, is it something you can do on the fly or does it have to be out of a dead ball? Like, are you guys able to, to really quickly switch between them or is it out of a timeout, out of a dead ball type of thing? Yep. We can switch in between. We can switch between them. You know, just, we, we got the play calls gotcha. and uh, just, just yell them out and they're in it. You know, that's what we're in. And they'll, they'll echo it and they'll know. Sometimes there's also, there's some reads. Um, there's some reads to it, mainly with a coffin corner. I mean, there's some automatics. If a, guy, if a guy's 
two steps away um, or the ball's below the block in the corner. I mean, you're, you're talking about you, you got to go. I mean, it's right there. So I never complain about that one. It just triggered some other, some other things for me. You know, just making it go to the short side is important in a man-to-man -man pe uh, press. So if they run the baseline, you know, you gotta, you gotta shit. You're always shading toward the middle, making it go to the short side. That way, the, the distance you cover to that coffin corner, that trap, is is smaller. You know, the guy guarding the inbounder. If you know you're guarding the inbounder, um, we're asking you, you know, to to get on that ball and uh, and, tra and trace the ball, try to get that five second call. You know, right away. There can't. That's why we call it reaction press, and in, in the drill because we're reacting into it. We can. There's there's times you know still even with us we're well trained but you know the guy guarding the ball makes a nice you know step back jumper and he's back pedaling he's like oh shoot I gotta come up and, and get into my position so we work on that too there's a couple couple details there so I just call it from the sideline like you would call an offensive set or a right. you know, secondary action got it and so, I guess I'll follow up with that real quick is so like you mentioned earlier like you'll kind of just kind of see what works and what doesn't work so that allows you to stay like if you're in a diamond press and it allows you to go on a quick run because it is working. And if it's not, then you can jump out of that. Is that one of the reasons you guys kind of do that as well? Yeah. So like a, like the diamond press, maybe it's a backup point guard. That's, that's inexperienced or something, or who knows, maybe they have a guy that's injured and they're, they're playing a guy that is not a natural guard or ball handler, or, you know, for whatever reason, they don't want to break the press for scores, you know, then we can heat them up with a diamond and, and get a, get a couple traps. And, you know, it's just a higher intensity type of type of press. Um, but a lot of times the man to man and the diamond, they, they look really similar um, at the beginning. So it's hard, hard to tell. So if you're in and out of both of them, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to tell, Hey, are they in man? Are they coming at us running and jumping? I going to get trapped right away. You know, are they in the diamond? So now, now they're in zones and, and playing angles. But uh, yeah, we'll, so we'll jump in that and, and kind of heat them up. It's almost like a. Sometimes we do it to get ourselves going. Sometimes we do it because we smell blood in the water. You know, those are <laughs> yeah. those are scenarios for us. So like if you're in the zone press, it's traditional that you know this guy knows he's in this spot. This guy knows he's in that spot. If you're in man to man, is it a you you're always on the same guy or is it more that your best ball on ball defenders always garden the guy that they're throwing it into like what you know or, or is it do they have to find the same guy or is it kind of flexible as to where you're going like I know it's sometimes for us we struggle when we're pressing to get into it quick enough like I just didn't know if, if they're always having to attach to the same guy or is it just find the nearest guy or do they go into a specific spot when you're in the man well, they, they, they find the person they're guarding in the half court. So they're guarding their man, you know, where, where that comes into play, you know, is there's some good press breaks, right? There's some good counters to this guys are preparing. We have really good coaches in our league. So it's like, you know, they bring the five man up um, and we're away from the basket. Maybe we don't want to be in the man to man. Maybe we want one of the other presses or, you know, we don't want him to be a release valve or maybe we like that, you know, or maybe we got, they take it out with the two guard. And we don't want our two guard to be the one that's running and jumping or trapping, which we do. We, we practice that. We're interchangeable parts, but maybe we don't want to. So maybe we'll make a tweak and just say, hey, 
you know, you're on the ball every time, even though we're in 95. So we, we can do that. But the thing is, you got to practice it. If you're going to do it in the game, you got you to spend time practicing it. So, but the simple answer to that question is, you know, match up with who you're guarding in the half court, wherever they're at, and then per- perform the assignments based on what version we're in. Coach, you've mentioned multiple versions of your man press, you, you, the diamond, um, which is obviously popular, and, and, uh, and you guys have had great success. What other zone press do you use? I, I thought I saw a 2 one when I was mm-hmm. taking a snapshot of you guys, but that, mm-hmm. that could have been something different. What, what, what else do you guys use from a zone press standpoint? Yep, it's, it's a 2-1-2, it's a two, one, two, uh, two, one, one, one. you know, um, the, t- the top of it is 2-1. Whatever we do on the backside uh, has changed over the years. You know, you can play guys on a string. Uh, you can leave a guy by the basket and just have one guy cover, cover sideline to sideline. We've done different things on the, on, on the backside, but that one's a little bit more three-quarter mm-hmm. and – but again, when the ball comes in, we still try to heat it up because they'll just pass over top of us. They'll get into empty areas, open areas, and just pick us apart. So as soon as the ball comes in, we, we take the guy, in a, you know, the two-man front, we heat up the basketball, and, you know, whatever way he goes, it's good for, it's good for us. He's just got to go with speed. So if he goes up the sideline, we can get an alley trap, and uh, we practice that alley trap a lot. That's one of our lead-up drills in our 15-minute segment. If he crosses over into the middle, we can jump in the middle on this one. And then they usually throw it over top, and then we can chase from behind and uh, get the alley trap again from behind. And uh, th- this one's also – back tipping is, is pretty much a staple in all these presses. Um, see in a three-quarter court, it seems to happen quite a bit. But uh, we have a, uh, a couple different back tip drills where we're, we're running through the ball. Uh, we're not lunging at it. We're running through it, running past it, um, hitting up from behind, not 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 from over top. Um, and again, the the backside of this press, you know, is just simple concepts, right? You know, these presses you want to cover sideline and middle. You want to cover those passes up, and you want to protect the basket, so you're not giving up layups. And uh, and one thing about one thing about these presses, though, as a coach, you, if you give up an open shot, that's a little out of their rhythm and a little out of their, you know, it's early in the shot clock and they make it. You just, you just got to be good with it because you know, over time, you know, that's a tough shot for them and maybe they don't practice it as much. It's, it's certainly not one of their special, you know, top secret go-to sets that they like to run. So you kind of got to live with it, right? Oh, they made a couple early shots and uh, now we have the pace of play that we like and we're used to. So, so be it, you know, they'll miss a few too. And we'll be off to the races. Your uh, your your zone presses. We've obviously talked about a couple of them. Are you always converting back to to man to man defense, or will will Ferris State basketball occasionally stay in a zone, even in a quarter court? Occasionally, yeah, we will occasionally, but we're we're converting back to man to man. Right. Um. And, and you know that's the thing about it too. We we end up guarding some guys that aren't our initial matchup. You know, so. Um, that's just, it is what it is. You know, you, there's good and bad and you just ultimately you believe that the good outweighs the bad and it's your style of play. So you roll with it and, uh, you, you can't have everything, you know, but we call it fortifying and we, we do look to, you know, there's all sorts of situations where, um, you can switch, switch off if it's a huge matchup, 
you know, you can fix it. Call fix it. You know, it's just something that you, it's something that we work on. Coach, we're always curious, like, you know, in terms of when you're looking at a high school kid to recruit, um, you know, with you guys playing this style, um, you know, what are you looking for when you're recruiting, you know, whether it's watching a high school game or an AAU game or, or video that's sent to you, like, is it really, are you just looking for the best player you can get or do they really have to be a certain type of kid? Like, well, what, what specific things are you looking for to, to fit Ferris State basketball? Specific things. Well, I mean, first of all, we are looking for specific things. Um, it's just not, it's not the best player that we can get. Um, it's the best player we can get within those things because Fer- Ferris State is Ferris State and there's a lot of good schools out there, but we are who we are. So, and, we have to communicate that very clearly to the recruits um, exactly who we are, what we try to do, uh, what our school's about. That way they have a chance to stay <laughs> and uh, under promise over deliver. You know, we, we, we want to, um, you know, in a weird way, we, we push a lot of people to say no um, because we, we don't hold back. And we think that's better in the long run, even though we might be able to get a few kids here, um, if we leave some things out or if we say things a certain way, it'll burn you in the long run because um, we are who we are. And uh, we have a lot of positive things at Ferris, but it's not for everybody. And there's other good schools out there. So we're specifically recruiting to Ferris State. We're recruiting to um, our style of play and our, our personalities as, as coaches. And then we're just, you know, Division Two is in an interesting interesting place so if if you're going to be any good you have to have division one players you know talent so we're just really we're just really not looking for anything but that you know it it puts you in some tough situations because a lot of your friends and your coaches have have really nice players in high school but if you if you took i'll use myself for example you know i played nai had some gliac offers but if i was to recruit myself you know 15 of andy bronkema we'd have five good players and we've had, we, we'd had 10 bad ones. You know, five of them would work out. That's not a good, that's not a good enough ratio, you know, but if I'm recruiting, you know, 15 Deshaun throwers who, who played for us, Mr. Basketball, you know, I'm going to have 10 good players because even five of Deshaun's not going to work out, but you know, it's, that's, that's what we have to do. So we have to put ourselves in that situation, but in order to do that, it's not always out of the get go. You know, you, you can take a few guys that you are projecting on, Right, they have tools. Uh, maybe it's a carry tool. We look, we look for carry tools, something that's going to carry them through until they develop more. But you can't have all all projection guys. You have to have a couple of guys that are just ready to go. And sometimes you get that from junior college. Sometimes you get that um, from tr- the transfer portal. You know, and, and you can get that different ways. And otherwise, you have to develop it. So, um, you know, a lot of times in our development, we're getting guys if they're quick development, you know, sophomore year, usually junior, senior year, these guys are ready to play at any mid-major. And, uh, you know, that's part of the development process that, that we have. You just can't take uh, 15 Andy Broncos. You have a competitive team, but you wouldn't be talented enough. <laughs> you wouldn't be pressing as much as what you mean? Oh, uh, no, yeah. No, 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 no. I did see, Coach, that you, you guys signed a, um, a, a – uh, transfer community college transfer and, and a kid from the portal this year. And, and you added a lot of athleticism and guards. And it seems like, you know, people around the state, you know, as far, you're talking about recruiting. I, I think 
so many coaches and, and uh, as a young coach, I know I always made this mistake. I always thought I had players are good enough to play at that level until you start going to these division two games and even NAI and division three games, you don't realize how incredible the level of talent is. Um, and I, I think, you know, I think my recommendation to parents and, and to coaches and players would be, go watch a Ferris State basketball game, go watch a, or even, you know, a, a close to where we live on this side of the state, maybe a Wayne State basketball game. And then, you know, look, look at it with, with truly open eyes to see how the level of play, what other advice would you have for some of these uh, families or players that are listening to the podcast or even AAU and, and high school coaches who believe their kids are at that level that, that maybe need their eyes open. What should they do besides maybe go watch some games? Yeah, I get you know. I guess for high school coaches, you just just don't force it. Your kids are gonna get found. And uh, I was actually talking with with my buddy Grant about that recently. It's just like you know, we we only need two, three, four guys a year. I mean, in the whole nation and Europe and junior college and transfer portals available to us. So it's like it's a specific need. We might not need that position. You know, we co- coaches will find we'll find your guys. I, th- I think you need to help them get out there, support them, but you don't, you don't need to force it. Um, you just need to have your gym open and um, have good communication, but, but you don't need to, you don't need to beg for the offers or, or, or force the action because you know, that, that only ends up, you know, putting the kid in a tough position sometimes, you know, because now maybe he gets forced into a situation that wasn't a great fit and it doesn't work out or he goes a level that's really just kind of a level too high for him. And then he, he has to leave. So that'd be a piece of advice. But, uh, you know, I, I tell our elite campers this, this quite a bit, and it's, it's meant for motivation, not for discouragement, but like at Ferris state or teams in our league or teams in our region or teams in our division, you know, I, I they ask what we're looking for and, and, you know, one thing I tell them we're looking for is we're looking for six eleven guys that uh, you know can average twenty and ten in Madison Square Garden in the Big East Conference Tournament. And they kind of look at me. I'm like, yeah, that that's the guy that we had here. He was a two time All American, and you know those were our best teams. And we we need another one, so we need to get them through the transfer portal, through junior college, or through development. But we got we got to get them. And, uh, you know, I ask them to raise their hand if they're 6'11 sometimes, and none of them are. And uh, so they, they get that point, you know. So somebody asks, you know, what about the guys that aren't 6'11? And then I'll give them those stories too because there's plenty of those. You know, but I, I referenced to Sean Thrower. I mean, we're looking for Mr. Basketballs. You know, he's Mr. Basketball and humble enough to come off the bench his junior year. Um, you know, he's a dual sport for us, so that was a little different wrinkle. But, you know, we're looking for Mr. Basketballs. Uh, that's, you know, our point guard that year, Drew Cushenberry, was six foot three. He could, he, so I tell the guys, you know, how many of you guys are point guards? They raise their hand. Um, how many of you guys are six three point guards? You know, there's a bunch, there's probably six hands left. And how many of you guys can throw it through your legs and dunk it? No hands. You know, that, that's Drew Cushenberry. He's that athletic. And uh, let me tell you what all these presses and all these plays that we run look a lot better with six foot three athletic point guards. I mean, they just, they just do. And when he's rolling it into six eleven, 
you know, guy that's averaging 20 and 10 at Madison Square Gardens, that, that looks different. It makes you look real good. You roll it in, you get double teamed, you know, you create an advantage, a scramble, and you play off of it. So, and, and I, the list goes on. I've got one follow-up to that, Coach. I mean, I, I definitely what you're, you're looking for size and athleticism and fit to your system. And obviously guys that are going to play basketball the way Fair State plays basketball um, and, and be those type of character. It, when you sit down at a high school game or at, a, at an AAU tournament or an open gym, are there any turnoffs, though, that like quickly like, man, uh, nope, not, not my kind of guy. Is there anything you can share with us about that? Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's everything to do with the body language. You know everything. Um, so if you have a, a a fake toughness about you, then it's over for me. Um, that that drives me nuts. I like a guy with a with, with a true confidence. So a lot a lot of times, you know, just true competition. You know, how how do you compete? Do you want everybody to know that you hustled or that wasn't your fault or how good you are? You know, are you showing somebody up or are you? compete in the right way so you can see all that through body language and just how do they treat their teammates how do they act in the huddle how do they act after a tough loss a tough play uh, a, a big a big win I mean you pay attention to all that is honestly you, usually you've already got your mind made up once you st- so when you're recruiting you're collecting these names and in, in, in the summer a lot and then you're you're kind of cross-checking and follow them in high school and you already have made up your mind that they're good enough otherwise you wouldn't be in the building but you're trying to figure out all those little things every once in a while you get in the building for an evaluation but a lot of times you've already evaluated them or somebody on your staff has and you're the cross-checker so yep you're looking at these little things you're not always looking at basketball you kind of already made up your mind that that he's got a carry tool or he's got enough ability to to be on your team that way. Okay. We also want to talk to you a little bit about just, um, I guess, how how you and Ferris State would attack certain defensive tactics that mm-hmm. are even really common, even in the high school game now. And I I guess, uh, and I'm a perfect example of it, who, who kind of got out of it in 2012. And even though I was doing some AAU stuff, I didn't get back into it until this past year. I can't believe all the teams that just basically switch everything now. It, it seemed it, – Back in the day, it seemed to be an occasional thing. Now, switching one through four is really common. One through five is even seems more common um, at our level, and I'm sure it is at your level. What What are you doing uh, to kind of offset that as, as that becomes more and more of a trend in it, NBA, college, high school, everything? Is there some specific things you do, or are you just creating an offense now that it's kind of uh, can, can handle multiple things? Yeah, we're creating an offense that can handle multiple things. I I, I do believe there's some – there's some things you can do to switching defenses, but it's more concept based. I, I, I think these players are good enough to guard a lot of positions. So if you spend your time trying to expose it, like, you know, stop, you know, try to dump it in the post. Well, you know, a little six, two guy feisty, he can really stay in front of that big guy and they load up the backside. And if you throw it in, they're going to try. I mean, they're game plan for it. So our general philosophy would be just to run our motion until it exposes itself. So if they're going to guard like that, the whole possession, you know, then we're going to run our stuff that we practice every day and let it, let it uh, play out. And if, when you review the film, 
those mismatches, they do hurt them in, in the context of, but if you just stop and stare, you know, mouse in the house, or you hear those things like, or ISO, a matchup, that's tough. That's tough. And I, I, I do think that we're in an in-between, you know, when, when you're at the professional level and coaching pros, you know, they're good enough to, to take advantage of those situations. And we have some guys that are certainly, but I think it bogs you down. I think it gets you out of rhythm. So we just, we play, we play ball and let it happen naturally. And then, uh, you know, if you, if you got a switching defense, you know, typically you wouldn't, you wouldn't want your screeners to come together. So like off ball screens, don't, don't uh, come to a meshing point, don't come together. And then more rejects, more slips. Um, or, or if you do come together, it's gotta be a tight curl. And those are some concept-based things that will mess up uh, switching defenses. And uh, if we do get a mismatch, we definitely want to drive the big before we throw it in into the post. And when you drive it big, it creates a scramble. And uh, you can also have a rebounding advantage. Uh, um, if you drive the big, get around them and shoot, you also have a rebounding advantage. So two advantages versus just throwing it in and trying to post small. So slips, rejects, tight curls. Um, drive the big and get in the guts and uh, let it expose itself. And those are some of our basics. Coach, that, that incredible answer. I, I think I, I, that was that I learned a lot right there. So I appreciate that. Um, especially with some of the concepts and things like that. I, it, you, you might've already touched upon it with the next thing I was going to ask is how you guys attack the switching ball screen um, with, you know, driving the big, I, I, is there anything else different you do with that? I mean, not, not, not really. So, our, we do have we do have good players. So, if you're gonna if you're gonna switch out on us, you know, if, if you switch too flat, we're gonna turn the corner. If you switch too high, we're gonna split you. And if you if you switch, and we come off the ball screen and you know hit the next pass, you're still guarding that guy for for the rest of the possession. All right. So now if four is guarding a two. He's coming off a single. He slips it. You mess up the switch. So, how, how about like an like an ice, you know, on a side ball screen? Yeah, that was so, actually my next about, question was how you guys attack the 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 ice. So you know that'd be a scenario where there's a specific action that that works pretty well. I mean, if you if you attack the ice man, you know the big that's that's low. You know they're they're forced into one side, but you can attack him, get him on his heels, and then you you pop to the top. You can you can hook pass it to the guy at the top, and you can go back and get it off a dribble handoff. That's like a that's one of the basic actions against the ice. And we'll we'll use it. You'll see a lot of teams use that. Um, or or you could just you can snake dribble. So you, you refuse it and you snake it into the middle, and uh, you can you can get some good action that way. But uh, those are two two drills that we practice, and. One follow-up question to that is, do you guys, um, do you empty out the corner when you're dealing with an ice, uh, when teams are icing you, do you try to empty that corner out so it's open? Yeah, typically on a lot of our ball screen stuff, that corner is empty. If it's, if it's not empty, you know, it better be a shooter. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you, you, you want to, you want to try to set it a little bit higher. That way there's some sort of gap, you know, but if it, if you have a man below, you know, the backside action is a little harder to guard too because there's not so many guys loaded up. We, we actually, we don't run a ton of ball screens. Of course we do, um, because it's a great basketball action, because essentially you get two guys to play one, 
which is what you want to do in offense. And then you can play off of it. But uh, we, we run a motion and ball screens are not a part of that motion. Um, ball screens are a part of a lot of our sets. So if we want to get into ball screen stuff, it's part of our secondary offense and part of a lot of our sets. Um, my my kind of tactical question for you is, uh, what is your philosophy in the last eight to ten seconds of the shot clock? So, um, you know, some teams like to just stick. Like, if you you said you're a motion team, like, do you guys just like to stick with your motion, or do, are you calling it out and pulling it back and getting into an action and ISO a ball screen? What do you guys like to do those last eight to ten seconds? We have we have a couple different philosophies. Uh, we've been back and forth on. So, so we call it termination. You know, how, how are we going to end? Terminate the shot clock. And sometimes we run our motion all the way through the last second. And, so, and, and sometimes we set a high ball screen. And we have a high ball screen series. Um, you know, to a layman, it might look all the same, but there's different little wrinkles to them. How we set the screen, where the screen's coming from, how we set up the screen. Um, is, is the is there one guy below the ball screen, two guys below the ball screen? Is it emptied out? You know, so we have this spread screen series that we can terminate the shot clock with. But, uh, you know, a lot of times we'll just run our motion and we, we think they're going to break down. Now, with your ball screen stuff, is it always your, your five man that's coming and setting, or do you guys mix up who the screener is depending on the personnel? Depending on personnel, it's who's guarding who and, uh, you know, who – who do we want in that two-man game? You know, mate, depends on who, who's on the floor for us and uh, depends on how, how they cover ball screens, you know. So maybe it's a pick-and-pop guy that we have and they're defending it with a hard hedge. Well, we're going to empty out the side. We're going to run nobody below the ball handler. We're going to empty it out and we're going to pop that guy and see if their low man can, you know, can X out to him to cover him. Coach, uh, you're going to be uh, you're going to be our guinea pig. We're going to start a, a a new segment today called the uh, shot clock segment. We're celebrating <laughs> the we're ce- celebrating the uh, the uh, high school shot clock, which we hope is part of our our lives in the 22-23 uh, season. So we're going to we're going to pepper. What's that? Amen. Yeah, yeah. That, that's more more enjoyable and transfer better for sure. You got my vote. All right, good deal. That, that, that's big. Uh, we're going to pepper five questions at you. You've got 35 seconds to answer each one, so we don't want you to have okay. a shot. But we're, we're, we're gonna, not going to – You're going to count take, down on me? You're going to count down take, on me? We had a horn ready. We're not sure we're ready to throw that out here yet. But uh, right. and we're also not going to – we're not going to take the ball from you uh, at, oh. at 35 seconds. So, But we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go through them quickly. I'll, I'm going to start. Um, so here we go. Uh, what is your favorite high school gym in Michigan and why? McBain, because that's where I'm from, baby. The green and the gold, and that's the hometown crowd. So that, that, that'd that be my favorite one, without a doubt. We got a lot of pride as Ramblers. And, uh, you know, we, we made a good run when we were in high school. And, uh, you know, I'm the son of a coach. Uh, my dad coached basketball, football. He was an AD at McBain. Uh, I played I played ball with my brother. And, you know, we, we were 2002 state champs. So, um, you know, we... We love that gym and it's a comfortable place, you know, still to this day, I'm 37 years old. When we go home uh, to visit, uh, it's just a, it's just a nice place. Um, it, it wouldn't be anything for me to go in there and get some shots up. <laughs> and uh, it's just, if it, it feels right, it, you know, I, I probably could just set up a cot in there and, uh, and sleep. <laughs> All right. That's great. Thank you. 
Um, Coach, the beard, when, when did that start? Because it's a, it's a big thing. It's, it's part of who you are now. So when did that start? Um, I was probably just lazy and didn't shave for a while, and we won a bunch of games. And I was like, okay, well, let's go. You know, you, you see the hockey team's doing it a lot, you know, occasionally baseball, playoff beards. And so I did it, and then uh, it caught a little traction. So I did it again, and did it longer and longer. And I guess the biggest point for the beard was when we shaved it for uh, for Mitch Peterson and uh, Duchesne's muscular dystrophy. And we, ra- we raised over $11,000. Um, just to shave the beard with donations. And that was, that was a big deal for us. So, you know, you either love it or you don't, you know, some, some people think it's uh, a, a pretty funny thing and, and roll with it. So maybe you think it's unprofessional. I, I don't know, but it is what it is. I've had a beer, big beard and uh, that's, that's what's happening. So right. I like it. It's, it's kind of unique. You don't see that a lot on the basketball sideline, but that's cool. <laughs> no, you don't. All right. So my question is, uh, you know, with you coaching in the TBT right now, which TBT rule, if any, would you like to see added to the college game? I know there's a few unique ones they like to use in the TBT. Well, the most unique rule in the TBT is the Elam ending. So with four minutes left in the game, they stop the clock and uh, they add eight points to the, to the highest score. And that's the number that you play to. And if you're in the bonus you and you get followed, you get one shot in the ball back. So there's no free throw contest. And uh, if, if we could take a rule into college basketball, I would actually take that rule. And it's way outside the box, but I love it. And, it, and it's the greatest. There's a game winner on every, on, on every, in every game. There's a game winner. And uh, there's no free throw contest. So I, I'd actually do that. So Coach K is retiring this year. So I have to ask, um, what was it like taking your team and your program to Cameron Indoor Arena? Well, I can't do this in 35 seconds. Ask me a follow up. Uh, it was great. It was a great trip. It was, it was, it was awesome. We, we played in the, we played five days later in some important regional games. So we didn't want to, we wanted to play our system. So we put the press on Zion and Cam Reddish and, 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 you know, all their guys that got drafted in, into the first round that that year and we got we got beat by a lot so it was I hate I hate to get beat it was embarrassing um in that way but we did what we did and we enjoyed every other part of it but I I thought we had a little bit of a new team graduated a lot of our guys from from the year before that were seasoned vets and I I thought we had some open shots that we we could have made and some things we could have done you know to represent ourselves a little bit better so I don't want to be sour but I didn't like getting beat by so much. And uh, that that's kind of what sticks with me. But the other stuff was great too. Just the atmosphere and, and meeting people and the experience and the shoot around. Um, so there's so many storylines there. That's a whole nother podcast. All right. All right, coach. Final question. Uh, what is the best part about being a girl dad? A girl dad. Yeah. Uh, just change the pace for me because, you know, I got, I'm with the fellows all, all the time. And I'm, I'm getting that fix. Um, but it's, you know, it softens me up, um, for, for sure. And, you know, being a dad is the number one part of my life. It's the best role that I have. And, uh, you know, I just, it put, it puts you into a different perspective. You know, I like to play, I like to play with Barbies and, um, I like to do hair. So we paint nails and that's what we do. So it brings out another side of me that uh, not a lot of other people get to see. And uh, you probably know if I'm stomping around on the sideline, you, 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 might, you might not know that uh, I can really put clothes on a doll 
and I can really play house. <laughs> hey, that, hey, by the way, that, that's our sound bite right there for this podcast. We're tagging all the Ferris State folks on that one. But, Good. hey, Coach, awesome, man. We really appreciate you uh, taking time out. Uh, we're going to be pulling for you during the, the TBT and, and next season. And this was, uh, this was great professional development uh, on our end for sure. So, uh, um, again, I appreciate you taking time. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. I'd love to do it again. Thanks, Coach.